This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. Man, this week, Tom Cronin is joining me to share about like his journey going through like his financial career uh, in Australia over 26 years, I think. And you can imagine being under that kind of environment, the stress, the, you know, the strain takes a toll on anybody. Tom was able to figure out how to do it well through meditation. And that meditation not only helped him in that career, but helped him to also bring an impact to his family, to himself, to change things as he hit those different challenges in life. So really excited to jump in to, you know, gain that, that hope, the tools to bring that change and that confidence to our life as well. Tom, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing fantastic, actually. It's a great day. Awesome. And, uh, so, We've got you from Australia today. You're starting off your your day, and uh, man, totally chipper. Uh, love it. Um, let's start out. What does life look like for you on the the professional side of life? What does that look like at the moment? Uh, my professional life is it's really exciting. It's really growing and taking on new twists and turns every day as I explore how to play bigger and impact more. So at the moment. My professional life revolves around speaking with corporates and doing training programs in organizations and helping staff reduce their stress. So some of the biggest companies I've been working with, like Amazon, Oracle, Coca-Cola, Harvard Business School. And I work on another professional level, which is working with yoga teachers, meditation teachers, breath workers, PTs, helping them scale and grow their businesses. I noticed when I went into this space that a lot of them, when I transitioned out of finance, and into this that, um, you know, they were really struggling. So I wanted to sort of really support them in setting up more sound and sustainable businesses and um, doing a lot of sort of um, teaching meditation as well. A big part of what I love to do is help people learn how to de-excite their mind and their body So running uh, meditation programs. So the businesses really, it took a while to get there, I must admit. It was not an easy transition out of my corporate life into this space. You know, I had a very high optimism and we call it Zentrepreneurship. So getting into that conscious entrepreneurship is like, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park. I'll make lots of money. But it was uh, quite a windy, challenging journey that needed um, a lot of resilience, commitment, dedication, and persistence. And it's starting to pay off now. Awesome. And was the meditation something that helped to like create that resiliency, that determination, and and you know just like that? that drive to keep going through those, those hurdles you faced? Yeah, look, it's, I would say it's essential. Uh, one of the world's largest hedge fund managers, Ray Dalio, uh, he manages Bridgewater Associates, $180 billion worth of assets. And he tweeted that meditation was the key ingredient for whatever success he's had. And I would say the same. I would say that it's been a foundational tool and platform for me to grow and build. Firstly, because it enables me to have greater equanimity and unruffability during difficult times. Now, whether you're a meditator or not, whether you're a dad or a coach or running your own business or an employee, we'll all face challenging times. We'll all face times that don't meet our expectations. And how we handle those is critical. It's easy to handle good times, but how are we handling the difficult times? And meditation the tool that I use, a transcending style of meditation, it gives us access to a part of us that's unruffable. And this is the important thing. We can be less ruffable, that's less disturbed, less emotional, less reactive. That's one thing, which is where meditation can help. But what it can also do is give us access to a part of us that's unruffable. And that is the part of us that's non-changeable. And that's like the clouds are changeable, the weather's changeable, but the sky itself is unchangeable. The sky is just blue and it's blue and it's blue. 
um, whether there's clouds in it or not, right? And so there's a part of us that's deeper that enables us to be, okay, I've got this. There's a part of me that is stable whilst I'm in a world of instability. And that's a really important thing. The second thing that it's really powerful for is that it gives us access to a level of creative adaptability. So when we're faced with challenging times, what we need in those challenging times is solution and problem-solving capabilities and being able to meditate and access that part of the brain, that expansive creative potential that allows us to go, okay, you know, even this morning at five in the morning, I'm coming up with these creative ideas to grow my business. It's like when we're in those moments of quiet solitude, not on Instagram, not on TikTok, not watching Netflix, not having an argument with your partner, but to actually sit in the quietness of meditation, that's when we get these epiphanies. And anyone that's listening will probably know what I'm talking about when you have those meditations where your mind is actually bursting with ideas, which is actually not a bad thing. A lot of meditators think there's something wrong with their meditation because they're getting these creative impulses. That's what actually happens when we quiet the mind. So, yeah, it was it was integral. And that was one thing I was going to ask you. I'm like, you know, like one of the frustrations that I've I've heard about in meditation and I've experienced is like my mind just wants to wander and go places. So like you're saying it's not necessarily a bad thing to have your mind going. It's just maybe understanding where it's going. Is that almost like a horse? You're kind of reining it in and, and not letting it go willy nilly, but controlling it so to speak is that right look there's, there's there's layers to meditation there's layers to transcending transcending means to go beyond thinking um beyond the identity of your own egoic personality oprah winfrey has a quote and she does these deep transcending meditations she said is only from that space can you create your best work and your best life and she's talking about that space of infinite creative potential which is beyond thought now here's the thing there's sort of layers to our meditation there's there's a, a realm that we can get into which is deep stillness where there's no thought and we're just in this beautiful, quiet, peaceful, silent awareness. So we're awake, but there's no thoughts. And it's a really deep, profound state of awareness. And most of my students and most meditators can get into that with particular transcending styles of meditation using the mantra. Um, but on the way down there or on the way out, what we can go through is this sort of very um, sort of creative intellectual sort of um stages where we're having lots of ideas and we kind of want to run with them and i i call that critical thinking where we actually will put ourselves into that particular state where we actually want to think but we don't want to be in the realm of self-doubt self-sabotage limited thinking it's like my mind is bursting with creative ideas and I want to I want to play with that. I want to explore that. And I don't want to be in my conscious thinking mind, which is the habituated thoughts we're having on a daily basis. And we don't want to be in no thought because that's a space which is profound and beautiful. And ideally, we want to explore that as well. But sometimes I like to play in what I call critical thinking phase, which is mm. just sitting and quieting my mind to a degree um, where I want to revel in creative thinking and future thinking, future forecasting um, of really expansive potential. Not like, oh, I'm worried about my finances in the future. It's like, um, what solutions can I contemplate that are exciting creative propositions, business ideas, creative impulses, um, and getting really excited about pushing the boundary of my identity of who I am and, and what's possible for me um, to create as far as an, a version of myself in the future. So you're being intentional, just like when you talk about going to the, yeah, like when you're going to the gym, you're like going, Hey, I'm going to work out arms and, and you're, you're going there on purpose, um, in a, in a purposeful state, um, I guess is the best way to put it there. Well, let me, let me jump back. We talked about the professional side. Let's talk about the personal side. Mm. Um, what does life look like for you today uh, on the personal side of life? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really uh, I don't want to use the utopian because we, we don't want to seek perfection in a place where perfection doesn't exist. Perfection only exists in the divine, in God, in Source, our higher self, and spirit. Um, so the relative world um, 
always has imperfection embedded as one of the characteristics of it. Unfortunately, for most of us, we're seeking perfection where it doesn't exist. But it, it is a beautiful space in my, per, my personal life. You know, I've got a beautiful partner of 33 uh, years, uh, two beautiful twins, children that are 21 years old, a boy and a girl, Tash and Lauren, gorgeous children. Um, my health, I work very intentionally, and I like to, to use this term on purpose. My health is very on purpose. Um, I'm very specific about my health. I'm 55, uh, but I'm probably, you know, the healthiest I've ever been. I just come off a little bit of a, a lot of travel and a lot of work. Um, so I was a little bit fatigued through that and got a bit run down, but now I'm very on purpose about healing from that as well. So I go to the gym three times a week. I go to yoga regularly three, two or three times a week. I do sauna and ice baths every week. Um, you know, meditate twice a day. And all of that's on purpose. You know, how do I keep my family unit really united, connected and uh, on point and, and in a really healthy place? How do I keep my own personal experience and personal health on pl- on point? How do I keep my mind healthy and expansive? So these are things that um, are very intentional. You know, the things that I put in my body, very intentional. You know, how many supplements, vitamins, minerals, the foods the, that I eat, the foods that I drink, um, the all of that's very much specifically designed to optimize the human experience. And I'm always looking at how do I optimize the human experience with my mind, my physicality, my relationships. And what I see with the world and what I love about this podcast is giving people that sense of understanding that you can do that. It just takes a little bit of commitment. And a lot of us aren't intentional, which is kind of letting the world throw us around, discombobulate us, ruffle our feathers, and and we're kind of at the mercy of elements. And we don't, it's like that's a cork in the ocean where the ocean dictates where the cork's going to end up. Whereas I like to be a boat that has a rudder and a powerful engine that steers and navigates its way through those elements and through that ocean and gets to my destination. So two things we need to know is one is what is our destination that we want to get to? Are we looking at the future version of ourselves, and what are we becoming and what do we want to create and also how are we going to do that so once the captain of the ship knows his destination then he can start working on the navigational route so for me to get to my destination then i work backwards from there how do i get there well let's look at what are my sequential daily steps that i want to make to incrementally get to those destinations yeah not living every day almost like uh, time, energy, and financially like uh, paycheck to paycheck, so to speak. But having that, that map, knowing that it, you know, if I want to get to where you're, you know, you're talking about that end destination, let me set my compass in life to align with it. The biggest challenge with that is, on- yeah, the, the biggest challenge is, which I'm sure you're going to cover in it, so I'm probably jumping the gun here, but most of us don't believe it's possible. Yeah. Or... Most of us don't believe we're worthy. And I had to deal with generational conditioning of Irish Catholic background that has been coded into me through dad and granddad and great granddad and great granddad. And, you know, coming through mother and father in that lineage, we didn't arrive in this world with a blank canvas where we get to choose what we want. We arrived in this world with a code system that was deeply ingrained and embedded into our software. And then then in our first seven years of our life, that code got even more manipulated by our upbringing and our experience. So for many of us, by the time we get to 30, 40, 50, we've got a lot of deep code that we have to break through and rewrite. And so if we're trying to operate with that code, it's going to be really difficult for us to live and create really abundant, successful, dynamic, healthy, beautiful lives because most of us myself included have to work through generations of self-sabotage limiting beliefs poverty consciousness because that's just what our forebearers have had to work through them and had have experienced themselves particularly if it's really brutal um you know racial inequities and inequalities all sorts of things that many of us uh, myself you know i can't imagine what even some other people have had to work through more difficult more challenging than what i've had to work through yeah it's it's challenging enough where we're at yeah looking at somebody else it's like okay i'm i'm just gonna stick with my shoes and what i mean (laughs) there's enough packed in yeah let's let's jump from there and let's talk about like we said uh you were over 25 years in the financial industry 10 years in um was when you discovered like um 
meditation. And that was like a transformative just situation and equipping for you. Can you share like what it was like for you at work um, before you discovered meditation? And then how did it change afterwards? Cause you stayed in that for 16 years after that point. Hmm. Yeah. Um, if anyone's seen Wolf of Wall Street, then they'll get a bit of an idea about what my life was like. So Jordan Belfort, the lead character in that, he started his career in, in 1987, the same year I started my career, 1987. He was 22, I was 19. And that was really what my life was like. It was a massive trading room floor. It was pandemonium. It was the wild, wild west of the finance markets, late 80s, early 90s. There was no, you know, this is right, this is wrong. You can't do that in a co- company. You know, it was like there was no rules, no regulation. It was just wild west. And so things were kind of pretty crazy. And I got swept into that culture very easily. I was very lit up like bright lights by the drugs, the drinking, the partying, the fast money. It was really just, you know, let's rock and roll, guys. We're here. And before long, the implications of that type of lifestyle started to show up in my body. And the body's an amazing piece of equipment. It doesn't let you down. It's trying to tell you what works and what doesn't work. Yes, if you go out and look after yourself and eat well, drink well, exercise, um, go to bed early, your body will say, yep, that, that works well and, and I will look after you. But if you are being an absolute uh, an idiot and starting to drink lots of alcohol, take lots of drugs and go really crazy, your body will start showing signs that this is not appropriate. And at that point, what will happen is you'll get these symptoms and symptoms are like the red lights on the dashboard that is your body saying, no, nah, we don't like the way you're doing these things. And at that point, I got a lot of anxiety, a lot of panic attacks, a lot of depression, a lot of agoraphobia and insomnia, that's the inability to even sort of struggle to get out of the house and go to work. And that blew up in um, sort of 10 years into my career after having that length of time in that um, in that particular way of living, that lifestyle that eventually culminated in a full-blown nervous breakdown, uh, which was a, a very dark and um, intense day of my life that sent me to doctors, psychiatrists, suicide watch, where I was really contemplating whether I wanted to continue on with my life. And um, and that was the time when I was listening to doctors, seeing psychiatrists, having to report in on a daily basis to make sure that, yes, I'm still here, that I um, was at home alone and spending a lot of time in solitude and trying to grapple through this dark night that I was in, that I came across a documentary. It was on TV. It was 1996. So... Uh, having mental health leave from work, not being able to go to work. Uh, 1996, there's no internet, no Netflix, no Spotify, so you're kind of just watching a lot of free-to-air TV. And there was a documentary about a property developer that was very successful, and I was fascinated by his business story. Mm. And um, he talked for three minutes in that one-hour documentary about how we used a particular style of meditation, transcendental meditation, to help him be successful. And, And that was like a light bulb moment for me. And that's when I started to look into meditation. I actually went, and I still remember to this day, um, some of the young people listening might not know what I'm talking about, but I went and picked up the yellow pages, which is our Google these days. And I remember looking up M for meditation and um, and seeing all these different centers and ringing them all up and starting my journey into meditation. And it was a big turnaround. You know, I've, I learned transcendental meditation. It completely changed my life. Um, very, very quickly, all those anomalies, the anxiety, the depression, the addictions, the way I was living my life melted away. And I, I um, went back to work uh, not long after learning to meditate and finding that um, my mind started to clear, my nervous system started to repair itself, my body started to optimize. And I went back to that job for 16 more years, like you said, and played at the top of my game without the drinking, without the drugs, and without that huge stress response and ended up becoming a very successful broker as a result of that. Mm. So it's not only decreasing like the stress and the anxiety, everything that, you know, you're feeling from a fast paced environment, but it sounds like it's also elevating like your resilience, your capability, how you perform, um, how you even show up. Is that accurate? Yeah, if you think about what the stress response does to us, that's the sympathetic nervous system. That's when we're having fight flight. And that's where I was in a lot of the time, which fuels addictions, which of course fuels more fight flight, which you're in a vicious cycle then. You're on a really downward spiral. 
Um, when I started to meditate, what happened was it put me into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the peace response. And my body was sustaining that on a daily basis, which means that not longer, no longer am I producing cortisol and adrenaline by being reactive to circumstances. I'm proactively producing oxytocin, serotonin, which is the biochemicals for love and happiness. And so not only on a biochemical level am I feeling more profoundly calm and peaceful and happy and less inclined to do self-sabotaging activities because I'm already inherently feeling better. But my brain functionality just got clearer and clearer. Now, if you think of in the old days when you had the radio with the dial and the knob mm-hmm. and we're tuning into a particular radio station, and if you're not tuned in, if you're on the sort of fringe of that, there's a lot of static, right? You just sort of hear basically a little bit of background music and a bit of talking, but there was mainly static. And that's where a lot of people's minds are like. There's so much noise that you can't tune into that intelligence of thought that is clearly the prelude to all action. All action is preceded by thought. And so we've got a very staticky mind, very noisy mind, but when we get a much clearer mind and a much um, more expansive mind, um, you get but much better at productivity, much better at, um, at problem solving, and you make better choices in life. And you start to get a lot more proactive about, and like you said, intentional and on purpose with your life rather than just trying to cope with the immediate stress of the situation. And yeah, so it added a lot of value to my life. It was quite phenomenal. Wow. Um, and you were there in the financial um, district, like that, that financial role, you said for 16 more years. And so it gave you courage and confidence and and gave you that unruffledness like you've talked about. You then transitioned and stepped out and, and started doing the teaching and the coaching. How did, how did that phase go? You know, like going from what you knew Monday through Friday to something that, you know, you may not know what's going (laughs) to go on two hours from now. How did that transition work? Yeah, you know, everything's got polarity in it, you know, pleasure and pain, support and challenge. And the beautiful thing about leaving finance, which it was really coming to the end of my career, I was really struggling with, is this really what I'm here for? Just quoting 10-year government bonds on quarter point tips for five mil for a a banker at Barclays or UBS? Um, Or is there something more that I'm here for? And I realized that through my journey, there was a story, there was a, a lesson, and I'd learned to become a teacher I really wanted to bring meditation to the world. I could see that this was a game changer. And at that point in 2012, when I left, meditation wasn't a big thing. We didn't have the apps and we didn't have, you know, Calm and Headspace and corporations doing it. At that point, it was still very untapped and uncharted waters. And so I left with a really excited passion. And one of the things that I did was I I talked to some investors. We raised some money to bring a film out to the world called The Portal which was a film to showcase the power of meditation to help us get through crises. And a lot of my time and energy went into that, but I was very bright lights, very excited and very passionate about, you know, this vision of being, you know, a thought leader and a game changer on the planet and bring about significant change to the planet and people's lives. What I underestimated was the challenge that that was going to take. You know, it was a lot harder than I thought. You know, you're walking away from multiple six-figure salary, nearly seven-figure salary. Um, You're walking away from superannuation. You're walking away from holiday pay. And as one of my my mates said to me, oh, you're going to go from a nine-to-five job to a five-to-nine job. And it was like it literally becomes an all-consuming life experience where there's no weekend, there's no turning off. And uh, initially I was just you know, working all the time to try and build that business. I underestimated how challenging it was. So luckily meditation helped me through that. And it took a while to really find a cohesive, sound, confident and secure business model. And that's what I coach a lot of people on these days as to how to do that and short track it. Gotcha. Did the meditation help you to like retain your identity? So when, especially we as guys, like when we, you know, get laid off or, you know, we're moving from positions, that job is our identity, right? Without it, it's like, who am I? What do I do? What's my purpose? Did the meditation help you during that transition to still know, Hey, I'm Tom, this is my value, my worth and, and everything along those lines. Yeah. I I would say even more than that. So, and 
it's such a critical tool for this. It's a really important thing, which we're going to cut for now. So um, hopefully people are still listening in and I haven't bored everyone, but um, you know, it's, we're always in the process of becoming and what we're becoming is the blank canvas. It's like in every moment who you are as a human being, you're given another blank canvas for the next day. And we're always in the process of recreating ourselves if we want to. Now, a lot of people, I, I take my clients through this process call and we, we can work on this right now. I call it the PVS to the FES. So your previous version of yourself is the life that you've lived. And that shapes us as far as the identity that we have of our current version of ourselves today. So our current version of who we are today and the way we see ourselves is usually 99% of the time dictated and determined by what we've been through as the previous version of ourselves. So if we were abused or attacked or we was laid off, whatever it is that we've gone through, that can shape our identity and our perception of who we see ourselves as today. Now that then our identity of who we see ourselves as today shapes and forms the decisions that we make and the choices that we take and that shapes and forms the future version of ourselves of who we're becoming. So our previous version of ourselves starts to mold and shape the future version of ourselves, which means we're in this recurring known and there's very little growth. I'm X, Y, Z, therefore I will always be X, Y, Z, right? Um, so what I'm interested in is breaking free of the constraints and the limiting beliefs of who you've been and who you are today. And what I'm interested in, and this is a real stretch for the imagination, this is where meditation plays a part in a moment, I'll explain why. I'm interested in who you want to become. And so I would sit many times, even this morning, I was sitting there contemplating versions of myself based upon people that really inspire me. Can I play at that level of that person? And what is the future version of myself as Tom in that future version reality look like? Because there's a saying, if you hold it in your head, you can hold it in your hand. So what is the visual version of your future version of yourself looking like in your imagination or in your journal? And then we start to get the roadmap of putting that into our hand and making that become your reality. So can I play at the level of Richard Branson? Can I play at the quality and the stature of Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela? Have I got that integrity? And if not, what do I have to do to get that integrity? And who inspires you? You know, it doesn't have to be that. It could be, I don't know, Tom Brady or someone that you really look up to that what sort of stature and level of integrity can I play at uh, in my future version of myself? And what you'll find is slowly that gives you a North Star or roadmap to start moving towards that. And it doesn't, and it, there'll be times when you'll slip up. There'll be times when you'll hit a road, uh, a hurdle. There'll be times when you self-sabotage and you do something really stupid and you get back in your box and you go, damn, I'm an idiot. Why did I do that? It's in those dark, challenging times when you make those mistakes, go, nah, get back on the horse. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to stuff up. You will do that and you will self-sabotage. It's just part of our makeup. But the, the, it's how we recalibrate from that, how quick we bounce back from that and how quickly we move forward back into re-envisioning that future version of yourself that's critical. And when you're envisioning who you want to be, are you looking at all aspects of your life, not just um, not just professional? Are you looking at like, hey, this is who I want to show up as a husband and a father and a friend and just who I am at my core? Are you kind of doing like a full like 360 scope um, envisioning of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be fully integrated because we can't, and this is the thing that's really important. A lot of people are sort of working on their wealth. I want to manifest a million dollars, right? It's a big one for a lot of people. It always seems to be that seven-figure number. But what we're missing out on is, well, if, if you want to play at that level and earn X, Y, Z money, you've got to step up in all areas of your life. Okay, you've, you, you, you've really got to mean that your your level of fatherhood has got to play at that level. Your level of um, husband has to play at that level. Your level of friendship has to play at that level. Your level of health has to play at that level. Your level of your mind has to play at that level. And so, yeah, for me, I cover all those bases and I look at how um, am I optimizing all areas of my life so that it can support potentially one area that I want to see elevated um, because we can't sort of leave, you know, I'm going to be playing at this level, but I'm going to be an idiot at this level. 
You know what I mean? It's got to be congruent, you know, and this is what I teach my clients is that we have to live and breathe and embody what it is we want to see um, as the future version of ourselves. It has to be so embodied in our, in our makeup. Yeah, the way I've heard it before is imagine you're sitting at a bar stool and it's got three legs, right? Two of the legs may be three feet and the other one's two and a half. It's not going to be a comfortable spot to sit in. Yeah. And uh, that's that's what you're talking about is making sure that they're all congruent. They're all working in alignment um, holistically, not just focusing on, like you talked about, the million dollars, but how do I show up everywhere so mm-hmm. that, you know, life is of value, not just that you're, you know, placing a monetary value in there. Well, um, I, I know you and I had talked about before going through an exercise that can kind of give us that centering. And I want to make sure before we get to the end that we have time to do that, that we have a tool to, you know, kind of quiet if we're, you know, struggling with that scatter mindedness or, the emotional reaction like you've talked about. Would you mind walking us through that at this point? Yeah, I'd love to take everyone through this exercise and um, I'll give you a little prelude as to why we want to do it and what we need for it. I, ideally, um, it would be best done not while you're driving a car because we're going to close our eyes. <laughs> so if you're walking or driving a car um, or at the gym, you can come back to this afterwards um, because what we're going to need is just to sit in a chair um, ideally with very little distraction. We'll only go for two or three minutes. It'll just be ideally what I recommend is doing it for minimum five to 10 minutes, if not up to 20 minutes to really notice a powerful effect. We'll probably run it for about three minutes just so we don't take up too much time. But if you, all we're going to do is just lengthen that out if you wanted to using a timer or something. But why we want to do it is this. What's deep in our DNA, deep in our structure deep in our code as a man is a default system that when things are confronting or challenging or difficult, we will default to one of two options. One is, and just say we're, we're on a, uh, an open field and we're traveling through some landscape in America and a marauding tribe back in many, many thousands of years ago suddenly emerges over a hill or a massive bear or saber to tiger suddenly emerges and we have a split-second decision-making um, process that happens inside of us. And we default to one of two things. And this is very primal reptilian brain functionality where we go in a nanosecond, we weigh up whether we can win this battle and take it on and move forward in attack or whether we're not going to win this battle. So the best thing I do here is retreat, okay? And I'm going to run like crazy. And so what happens is that unfortunately plays out in so much of men's lives today where if we're confronted it could be your partner saying why didn't you put the bin out today and you're like i think i can win this battle so we will get on attack and we will start screaming at them because the more we get aggressive the louder we scream the more we shake our fists or the harder we punch then the more we can win that conflict or if we don't think we can win that conflict well screw you i'm out of here and then Mm. we retreat in defense mode into the pub and we go and drink ourselves stupid or we just go into silence and you know go into our man shed literally or figuratively in withdrawal mode and we can do that at work we can do that in our relationships we can do that as countries and we're seeing this happen right now in the world in a number of different places where okay i think i can beat this opposition so i'm going to go into attack mode um and so it doesn't work well when we're in this current world environment. It's fine if we're in a saber-to-tiger sort of scenario or a marauding tribe, but we're in a much more sophisticated world. And that binary option-making, decision-making um, process is not relevant anymore, and we have to learn a third model, which was how do I sit here in a calm state and think of a better solution than attack or run? And how do I find a better way to navigate through this situation? Because it's not going to work out well in your company if you start screaming and shouting. We see that all the time. And we even see it to the point where people pull out guns and we see mass shootings. And this sort of solution to problems is not a very healthy, it's too primal, it's too basic, it's too, we need to move beyond that. And so what these meditation tools and techniques do for us is that allow us to not default immediately 
into that binary decision-making situation, but to sit there and weigh up the situation and go, well, how do I find a more proactive solution that not only takes this into the next level, but actually takes it even beyond that into a better situation? So this is why meditation tools are really important to have before we get to that situation preemptively. Gotcha. So let's go into it. So we're going to do. Yeah, I think just... I've sat. I've, I think I've sat in some of those meetings where they've escalated <laughs> yeah. inside of corporate. So that's why I was like, going, yeah, you're talking too much of what I've gone through before, Tom. <laughs> Two alpha males believing that they can win this argument by getting louder and more aggressive. I mean, look, our whole sporting environment is built on that idea, though. Yeah, yeah, and this is what's in our culture. Our culture is in a win lose. A win-lose paradigm, which collectively we buy into consistently time again, and it doesn't work out. And it will basically possibly see the end of us as a species if we continue on this trajectory. Yeah, understood. Mm. All right. So what we're going to do is we're just going to sit back in a chair very comfortably. Just put your hands on your lap, your two feet on the ground, and just getting as comfortable as possible. And we'll notice if we close our eyes, we're withdrawing our senses from stimulation. And what we're going to do is we're going to be aware of a breath that moves in and out of our body. And it's a very simple breath. It's been there from the moment you came out of the womb. You'll notice that it just ebbs and flows. It's so effortless while you're sleeping, while you're driving, while you're watching TV. It's always there in and out, ebb and flow. Now I want you to refine your awareness, not just of the breath, but how that breath moves in and out through your nostrils. And now I want you to notice how it's moving in and out through your nostrils. And as it does that, it slightly cools the skin around the rim of the nostril, just inside the nostril. You'll notice that the air is brushing the moisture that sits on the skin and as it brushes the moisture on the way in and as it brushes the moisture on the way out it slightly cools the skin and it's very very subtle cool skin inside the rim of the nostril now it's an unforced breath I want it to be just a natural breath don't take big breaths just natural air moving in and out Now, every time the mind moves away from that point, and it will get a little bit bored of this, it will look for something a little bit more charming, a little bit more interesting. Your job is to rein the mind in, like reining in a wild bucking bronco that now has a uh, a bridle and some rope around it. We're just pulling it in and keep bringing the mind back to that single point, cool skin around the rim of the nostril. Whenever the mind drifts away, keep bringing it back. We're just centering the mind on the one point. Stay with it a little bit longer now, keeping the mind on that single point. And then you're slowly 
letting go of the meditation and opening the eyes. So this was just a really short little snippet into bringing the fluctuating scattered mind into a very narrow focal point. Now, here's the thing. When the mind is centered, it calms the nervous system, which in turn will calm the physiology, and that allows a deep healing mentally, physically, emotionally, and a recalibration, a resetting. The third law of thermodynamics states that as de-excitation occurs, order increases. So if we want more orderly body and more orderly mind, we have to de-excite it. And that comes back to, you know, frenetic boiling water that becomes chaotic and disorderly because of the stimulation that's happening in it. So we want to de-excite the mind, de-excite the nervous system, de-excite the body through centering it onto that one single point. And we'll find very quickly within five, 10 minutes of doing that, just extend it a little bit longer than what we just did then, you'll find, wow, I feel much calmer, much clearer. And if you do that on a consistent basis, you'll find that overall you'll be a much calmer, happier, healthier person. So as you've gone through like practicing your meditation, you said you're now doing it twice a day. Mm. How have you seen it impact like your, your marriage, your relationship with your, your two children, um, your relationship with your, your friends, how has it, um, you know, fed into those areas of your life? It's really important that we understand what a relationship is. A lot of people go into a relationship to get something out of it. <laughs> mm. um, what a relationship is a container that has nothing in it until two people enter into it. And it can be two countries or two people. And it could be a child and a father. It could be a husband and a wife. It could be uh, two organizations. But the container has nothing in it until the two um, entities enter into it. And what those entities are now determines what the relationship is. So if you've got one stressed person here and one stressed person here and they go into the container, the container, which is the relationship, becomes a very stressful relationship, i.e. Russia and Ukraine or other parts of the world which are happening with lots of conflict, or a husband and wife that are very stressed and angry, then that relationship will be a container that has lots of stress and anger in it, correct? So if we bring a calm person in that inspires another person to find calmness as well, then that container has a lot of calmness. Now, if we have calmness, we have a lot of love. Love struggles to coexist with stress and anger. It's very hard for love to coexist with stress and anger. Stress is sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, which means cortisol and adrenaline. You can have lots of cortisol and adrenaline in a football team or in an army or in an individual. And if there's lots of cortisol and adrenaline, which is anger, then there's very little love, if any love at all. Okay? <laughs> that means if there's no love, then there's no unity, and no unity, which means connection um, doesn't exist, which means there's conflict, and that's division. So what's really important when we're looking at having good relationships, we look at the people that are going into the relationship first. And so we must look at how do I get you? If you've not got a good relationship, then we've got to look at you, the individual, not the relationship. I've got to look at the other person that's in the individual that's coming into the relationship. What is the state of you two first? Then if we can change the state of you two, we're going to change the relationship. So my relationship with my children are beautiful. There's so much love there. My relationship with my partner, so much love there um, and, and connectivity. And we look for ways to find unity and connectivity because that's what a relationship thrives on. No relationship is perfect. That's the thing. A lot of people are trying to find perfection or love in the relationship. And what we want to do is we want to create love within ourselves and bring that to the relationship. We shouldn't be trying to extract things from relationships. We should be looking at what can I bring and contribute to that relationship. Yeah. As we change, it's, it's impactful in everything we do. Mm. And it sounds mm. like that's what you've experienced as, as well is, you know, you're, you're becoming the calm, the peace, the love, um, understanding who you are. And so that changes the dynamics of the relationships. Yeah. Um, I am curious, like you've talked about cortisol coming down and, you know, all the, the stress I've known people that are almost addicted to the stress <clears throat> have you seen like within your clients or people you know that have picked up meditation that as they start bringing that calm into their life that there's like a withdrawal or your body tries to look for that balance that it's used to is there anything along those lines there's many 
perplex, uh, complexities and challenges that come with entering into a calm, peaceful, happy place. Um, you know, my biggest challenge initially was that when I was stressed and depressed, and those two go well together, stressed and depressed, we we tend to default to certain activities that will help us get out of that stress and depressed state, which would be for me, lots of drugs and drinking. And that came with lots of camaraderie, which is let's go out for massive benders. And you've got all these makeshifts that are built on that particular lifestyle. So now we're all in a particular state that is quite unpleasant and quite unhealthy, but we're all in it together and there's mateship and comradeship. And what's important is for me, when I broke out of that, it was a real struggle because those relationships were no longer there anymore because I was doing something completely different. Um, so finding ways to um, adapt through that transition is is really important. Um, definitely a lot of men do get very addicted to stress, but they actually get addicted also to um, the charge that comes with anger. Um, it's a testosterone and cortisol fuel that it doesn't work very well for us, but it's been proven that a lot of men actually get addicted to that, and particularly that shows up in domestic violence. I can never understand how people could have domestic violence, but I learned later on that they get very addicted to the charge that happens in their bloodstream, which is very unhealthy, of course, because it has very, very negative ramifications on so many different levels that we have to find. We must find better alternatives to them finding that charge and that addiction to that charge. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely something we need to work through um, in finding better alternatives to that addiction to those types of energies. Yeah. Yeah. Being angry, stressed, depressed, frustrated, all that stuff, it definitely takes a toll on us. You may not notice it after a week, a month, but in the long run, it definitely has a negative effect on our bodies and on the relationships in our surroundings. So yeah, let's, it's best to avoid that and not go to the medicating route to try and overcome it, but actually look for that piece like you're talking about. Um, so what is something, you know, if I'm in a situation, Tom, where it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling at work as far as, you know, the stress there, um, you know, my marriage, my relationship with my children, or just even my own worth, right? Do I matter? How can a guy enter in and start with something that's tangible? Because it's like, you know, I've heard people doing two hours and, you know, or, you know, long stints, keeping their mind. I mean, how do I step into the pool to begin experiencing those changes to then gain the confidence to continue moving forward? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways people can go. And I, I think that there's so many different techniques out there. Unfortunately, many of them are either difficult to sustain or just not enjoyable. They just don't get a benefit out of it. And if we don't get immediate or quick benefits and a tangible effect, very few of us keep doing that practice. So we do want something that's going to work and have efficiency and effectiveness. That's particularly for guys. We like things to you know fix things very quickly. Um, and I did a lot of research into that and I found that there's, I've been researching this for 27 years now. And that's why I teach this particular style of meditation and why I use it is because I find it's very tangible and very quick at giving results. And what I would suggest if people want to learn how to do this particular style using a mantra or a sound, you get this sound and you repeat it inside your head. The technique I just gave you, they could do that. And it would mm -hmm. definitely give them some benefits. It's a little bit hard to maintain it because the mind doesn't want to focus on the breath. When we get a primordial vibrational sound or mantra in the meditation, it does all the work for us. So the way they can find out how to do that, they can Google in their local area. Mostly it's taught by people in person. So Googling Vedic, V-E-D-I-C, Vedic meditation or transcendental meditation to find a qualified teacher that would teach them through the actual program. It's a really powerful and life-changing program that they will learn the mechanics and the, the technique. Um, in person. It's really the most effective way to learn. Um, and if they can't find anyone in their area, then you know, they can reach out to me. We can find other alternatives where we can support them by giving them tools and techniques to um, help them facilitate the learning of that technique in, in their own home. Um, there's definitely ways around that so that we can get people meditating. But even if the worst case scenario is they just use that breath meditation that I gave them in this podcast and do that on a daily basis. Now, 
For most of us, we value our time based upon acquisition or activity. That is what we're doing or what we're acquiring is how we value time. And if we're not doing something that we can acquire or it's an achievable, actionable goal, um, then we tend to put it sort of to the side. And so closing our eyes in meditation isn't really valued for a lot of people. And that's because we have a distorted sense of what value is. We think action and activity and acquisition is what's valuable. But what we don't realize is that what we're valuing is the experience we get as a result of those things, which is happiness. So we tend to value the acquisition of something or the activity of of something that we're doing as the valuable thing rather than the happiness that we get as a result of it. Now, if you ask most people, are you happy in life? Then most people would say no, but they've acquired a lot of things and they've done a lot of things and they're doing a lot of things, but they're not happy. And that's because they've distorted their sense of what happiness is. So I say, let's just take out the middle guy, which is acquisition and activity and go direct to happiness, which is what we do in meditation. And then we make happiness our starting point. And then from there, we go into activity from happiness, not for happiness. And when we go into activity from happiness, it's very different decision-making and it's very different goal orientation when we're already established happiness as a result of being in happiness, being in love, not being in love with someone, but being in happiness and being in love and then going into action. And that will give you a sense of greater value and commitment to your daily practice. So for me, how am I going to fit two meditations in a day, 20 minutes each meditation? I had to reassess my values. And then I went, well, that's easy. I can make this the priority of my day. This became the foundation the number one thing that I prioritized in my day was my meditation. And then everything else around that just became um, added bonuses. Gotcha. That makes sense and helps a lot. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining me today sharing your story, sharing this insight on meditation, how it brings about the change. And you experienced it um, at a pivotal point in your career. And now it's become a foundational thing for you. Um, How can men connect with you outside of this podcast? Yeah, I'd love them to reach out anytime if they've got any challenges. I'm I'm all ears for people and I'm here to support. Um, They can firstly go to my Instagram at Tom Cronin or one word, T-O-M-C-R-O-N-I-N. Um, and I read all my messages and I respond to all my messages. So I'm more than happy to hear from people there. And my website, tomcronin.com, again, just Tom Cronin, my name with .com at the end. And then they can um, you reach out and see what uh, what is um, available there for them to connect with. Fantastic. Tom, thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate it. Uh, it's great being here. I love chatting about this stuff and um, hopefully some people have found some value and you know we can make some changes in the world. Absolutely. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one. <laughs>